Welcome to FHSU Tilt Talk, a podcast about educational technologies, teaching and learning, scholarly research, and service, hosted by Teaching Innovation and Learning Technology staff. Welcome to Tilt Talk, the Tilt Podcast. This is Nicole Frank. I'm the Faculty Development Coordinator in Teaching Innovation and Learning Technologies. The Tilt team has created two previous podcast episodes addressing generative AI. These episodes were created by our educational technologists, instructional designers, and program specialists. This episode will focus entirely on anxiety and uncertainty students and faculty may feel towards the use of generative AI and how they can address and work through their concerns. For this reason, our guest today is Nathan Perdue, a graduate assistant counselor from FHSU Student Health and Wellness Services. Welcome, Nathan. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. My name is Nathan Perdue. I'm originally from Denver, Colorado. I learned of Fort Hayes when I came out here in 2011, the fall of 2011, to run cross country and track uh, on the on the teams here and graduated in the spring of 2016 with my degree in chemistry education, began teaching at Hayes Middle School for a couple of years. And now I'm back because I couldn't stay away, uh, finishing the final year of my master's of science in clinical psychology. So right now what I'm doing is I'm doing an internship at Health and Wellness Services where we offer free counseling services to all faculty and students. So definitely just want to encourage you if you ever feel like you need somebody to talk to, to come and and talk to us up on the third floor of the Fishley Wills Center for Student Success. Hey, thank you, Nathan. We're glad to have you and, and lucky to have you and all this great expertise here today. Um, the inspiration for our discussion today is an October 11th faculty focus article about reducing AI anxiety in our students. The article's authors Damian Hummel and Bradley Cohen uh, shared some real concerns that college students have expressed about AI. Two key items that, that you know, um, sprang out to me that, that made mm-hmm. me want to uh, approach this subject were first that generative AI will render a college education worthless with uh, yeah. one study finding that four in 10 students wondering if AI defeats the purpose of education altogether. And secondly, how generative AI may affect their job prospects as they graduate and move into the workforce. And that study found that 72% of Gen Zers said they were worried about losing their jobs to AI. So after reading this article, I felt like it was important to address this topic and talk about student anxiety. Nathan, what can you tell us about how this kind of uncertainty affects our students and maybe faculty too? Yeah, I I definitely want to just offer some reassurance that no one is alone in their uncertainty concerning artificial intelligence. A recent APA, which is the American Psychological Association survey called Work in America, found that 38% of workers are concerned that their jobs are going to become obsolete as of the uh, the inception of artificial intelligence. You know, this... uh, is is a, a normal sort of thing that causes stress because we see that our workforce is dynamic throughout the years. So this might be the new thing. And I, I, I laugh because I feel like every single thing that I hear is about something unprecedented. And I'm, I'm ready for some precedented sort of uh, things to be going on in our world. However, we know that, that in the past, the workforce has been very malleable. And to be able to use the 
inception or the the real functioning uh, of AI as a tool and not a crutch. I know in my own uh, discipline in psychology, there are generative assist assistants helping to do skills training outside of therapy. There have been some disastrous consequences of using AI in therapy as well. So right now, I'm thinking that job security is probably okay. Uh, however, it's really helpful to remember that when we consider stress of any sort, stress can be incredibly productive. It helps us to be more attentive. It helps to foster learning. It is an extreme motivator. Stress is our body's communicator to return to allostasis, to get to a place of of normalcy. And then we receive pleasure um, situations that, or pleasure transmissions from our, our neurochemistry that tells us that we have met a particular need. This is true of hunger, of sleep, and stress is, is a similar sort of thing. You know, when stress becomes too much, when it begins to inhibit all other parts of our lives, like our relationships, our performance at work, our sleep, uh, the way that we're interested in things, that's when stress starts to be problematic. That The culprit of this is what's called the limbic system. And that's a more ancient part in our brain that is its function is to hierarchically regulate our attention to respond to threat. And when that limbic system, it's like a fire alarm, it goes off and it says, uh-oh, 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 Pretty much everything else ceases to happen. There's actually inhibitory neural signaling to the prefrontal cortex, which is the place that we really need to engage when we're thinking about, you know, learning in college, developing critical thinking skills, being able to explore and be creative. And chronic stress, when there's too much and it's out of um, proportion to a particular event, has lasting mental and physiological consequences. So you'll notice folks can notice that they start to have anxiety that's not able to be uh, calmed down through any of their pre-existing coping methods. They see a lack of interest in things that they do. Uh, concentration is decreased. They have tension in their muscles. They have sleep issues. This is when stress starts to get really problematic and probably when it's bad to reach out to a mental health professional to discuss their options for how to deal with that stress. Okay, so uh, what, what I hear you saying is that stress is a good thing, it's a productive thing, but too much stress is a problem, and yeah. that's what we need to address. That's okay, exactly so right. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So, so let's talk about this a little bit with um, what we do about this in terms of AI and, and the anxiety of generative artificial intelligence. Uh, the authors in the article talk about how faculty can address student concerns. Um, they offer a variety of methods and they have a kind of a classic framework of before, during, and after class. Mm -hmm. uh, one example uh, that is given that, that takes you through all three stages of that framework is that you can assign your students readings about AI from diverse perspectives. So both positive, great, you know, the potential of AI, and then also some of the caveats and misgivings and fears, along with comprehension questions to answer. And that would be done mm -hmm. ahead of class. And then during class, you can use some classic kind of tried and true discussion methods like a think pair share to get student uh, ideas going before you ask them to share out with the class. 
Or you could use some anonymous polling so that students can share their, their thoughts without concern about what others think. Uh, there's always a lot of participation with anonymous polling, like using mm -hmm. Poll Everywhere or something. Um, yeah. And then you facilitate a class discussion about those readings that you assigned. Um, and you ask students, you know, to think about the most critical skills for them to have in the age of AI. What does AI mean now for the most vital skills for our students to have as they graduate? Or... Um, Maybe how they feel about the possibility of you as an instructor using AI to provide feedback on their assignments. There are a number of platforms that allow us to use AI to simplify the process of providing feedback. Yeah. So asking how students feel about that would be a, an informative, helpful thing. And then finally, after class, you can help make things stick by asking students to complete an exit ticket assignment or asking them to write a minute paper at the end of class and uh, summarize the biggest takeaways from the discussion. <clears throat> so what did yeah. you think about these methods? I know they come mainly from a pedagogical perspective. And so I really wanted to know mm -hmm. what someone who works in, in mental health thinks about these and what the benefit of some of these would be and what else we might want to do. Yeah, I think that these are essential. If we know that these are tried and true methods for being able to engage in discourse and allow a teacher to have a, a seat at the table, someone who understands the way in which AI might affect the future of a particular discipline. So I, I think that AI is probably going to change all disciplines as we know them. And so are there certain things that are going to affect, say, psychology more than they're going to change education, something like that. You know, my my focus would be on the before and after. And one of the things that I start to think about when I think about how students can process their anxiety is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And at the very bottom of this pyramid is these sort of physiological needs about food, safety, shelter, and all these kind of things. Are we making sure that our students have access to resources if they need help? That's an easy way to mitigate anxiety. You know, when we talk about jobs, Jobs. jobs have incredible importance, not only in meeting basic physiological needs, but in meeting uh, needs for work and purpose and community as well. So when we're thinking about how AI is going to potentially impact jobs, we need to think of the way in which humans need particular sorts of stimulation. The United Nations identifies work as a basic human right. So we need to really start to think about how is artificial intelligence going to do that. Once we meet those physiological needs, those emotional connection needs, which is the next layer up, then we can start thinking about maybe the cognitive needs of being able to improve our education or ultimately to self-actualization, the way in which we can meet our actual potential. When I think about someone who is struggling with uh, anxious thinking or a pattern of generalized anxiety about a lot of things that are going on in, in the world, I I can't blame them because it's a kind of a, a difficult time to be in the world and seeing things develop. So the first thing that I want to do is just recommend the idea that, that reaching out for help is available. And at Health and Wellness, we offer free services to all students and faculty to come and just discuss concerns with 
everybody else. You know, people have idiosyncratic presentations of anxiety, but we know some particular sorts of things that can help with that anxiety. And that depends on the way in which that anxiety is developing in someone. There are two basic pathways that anxiety tends to follow, an amygdala pathway and a cortical pathway. And each of those tells us a couple of different things about how we can address the symptoms that someone is experiencing and then particularly intervene to help alleviate some of that anxiety, whether it's about AI or it's about something else. We know that anxiety is a normal human emotion, but too much of it can certainly impede that sort of self-actualization that we want to encourage in the collegiate context. One thing that I would just recommend for everyone is learning some relaxation techniques like box breathing or progressive muscle relaxation. These can be helpful not only for alleviating anxiety in a sort of acute sense, but it can also be helpful for relaxation in terms of switching roles from educator maybe to family time. And these are very simple. I'll just go through box breathing because it's so simple. And it's inhaling through the nose deeply for a count of four, holding that in for a count of four, exhaling through the mouth for a count of four, and then just holding that again for a count of four. The four is not magic. If you can go five seconds, if you can go six seconds, then absolutely do so. This is not meant to be something that's uncomfortable, but it's meant to really focus your attention on the present moment on where you are, and to be mindful of the experiences of doing something as simplistic as breathing. The research seems to indicate that that can be a quick way to alleviate anxiety and to get us back into a place where we're able to think more rationally and to engage both the emotional and the rational faculties that make us us. And you know what I particularly love about simple methods like that is that they're easy to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can do it anywhere, right? You yeah. can do box breathing anywhere. So um, yeah. I, I, seem, I seem to remember learning about that years ago, but thank you for the reminder. I think it's yeah. good to keep that, keep that in mind as something that students and faculty could do anywhere, um, anytime. Yeah. My fine. recommendation is to, to practice it when there is not a huge need for that concern. You want to be able to access skills during a crisis that are fairly automatic. And if you don't remember how to do them, if you haven't made that into a almost an autonomous sort of thing that you do, then it will be more difficult when you're in the midst of panicking because that's when the fire alarm, that amygdala is going, uh-oh, 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 and impeding sure. all of those other sorts of things that we want to do that could potentially alleviate that anxiety. So in that uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh moment, our brain doesn't think, let's do some box breathing, unless maybe that's been <laughs> yes. practiced as a habit. Absolutely, <laughs> sure. yeah. Um, so um, what, do you, uh, what would you tell faculty? This is just a bit of a follow-up question. What would you tell mm -hmm. faculty about how to recognize maybe a student who's experiencing some anxiety? Yeah, this is this is a really great question, and sometimes it's very difficult to notice this. Um, what you could seriously, I mean, realistically notice is, is a certain baseline and a deviation from that baseline. You might see someone missing class more because they have interferences in their sleep. You might see a high performing student start to slip because lapses in their concentration are affecting the way in which their, their education is concerning. They might reach out for more assurance than previously needed. These are all signs that 
I would say, hey, maybe it's time to go seek some help. I, I told you this a little bit earlier, but I'll reiterate it again. I want to think of mental uh, or psychological problems in the same way that we think about certain medical problems. If you have cancer, you want to be able to treat it when it's localized and it hasn't metastasized into affecting lots of body systems. In the same way, if anxiety is becoming an issue in the educational and the didactic context, we want to nip it there before it blossoms into something that's impeding relationships, uh, basic functioning, things like this, because those are, are far more resistant to treatment. Uh, those presentations, I should say, are far more difficult to treat and, and they take longer. What we see is if we have early presentations, they're much easier to intervene with. They're much easier to experience relief because people are really suffering from their anxiety as well. I think that sometimes people don't understand the extent to which they actually feel really bad until they start to go in and explore their emotional experience and their physiological experience. And the AI is not going anywhere, right? Yes. So <laughs> the, the coping is going to be necessary. If there's anxiety over AI, nipping this in the bud is crucial mm -hmm. because this technology is only, only going to grow and, and become exactly more embedded in our society. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so let's... um. Let's talk a little bit about faculty. Uh, Hemel and Cohen also note that university faculty are dealing with their own fears and anxieties about generative AI, what it may mean for their work. Uh, the authors make the case that among a barrage of anxiety-inducing news on, on how AI may surpass human intelligence and take over the world, I know as a Gen <laughs> Xer, I'm immediately coming yes. from you know, a series of films that I watched mm -hmm. in the 80s and 90s that are all about the, the world being taken over, these kind of right. science fiction fears. Um, yeah. But also, uh, how do we give faculty just kind of a semblance of control by separating fact from fiction yeah. and collectively discussing our concerns with our colleagues as far as our teaching and, and working with students and so on? Yeah, I think the first thing is to be realistic and to acknowledge the concern. It is the fact that more and more students are starting to use generative AI as ways to uh, complete assignments or sorts of things like that. You you mentioned the possibility of AI grading tools as well. So these technologies are becoming very quickly embedded in the pedagogical context, as you said. So one thing that, that we have to do is, is ask, how is this going to change the way that I do my job? Knowing that it probably is going to. However, we can kind of extract the, the ways in which AI is not yet able to address things like critical thinking. You know, I, I was just playing around on chat GPT before this, and I was putting in questions about particular therapeutic modalities. And I'm like, wow, this is coming up with them a lot faster than I am. However, that sort of generative AI cannot replace the cues that I'm listening for in terms of nonverbal communication, the empathic presence that I want to bring to the folks that I serve, the the nonverbal cues or the the command, which is the method by which someone reports um, a particular anxiety or a, a depressive symptom. Those sorts of things make me invaluable. The way that I can 
critically consider what information should be shared at what time start to make me a valuable asset still in the therapeutic room. And it may just be that artificial intelligence is a good stopgap for folks who need access to psychological services. We know that there is a pressing need for them. Um, and they're not, there are not enough cl clinicians, but until we can get to a human face-to-face -face clinician, then maybe we can um, we can give someone a little bit of relief through generative AI. Um, in terms of faculty at large and not just psychological faculty, um, consider the way in which AI is going to change the field that you're trying to prepare students for. I think that it's going to be a <laughs> something that changes all fields, really. Um, but think about the the crucial skills like critical thinking like going through and reality testing that ai is not quite yet able to do and how might we work to put these in place for um for students so that ai is a tool and not a crutch for them how can they use this uh, technology well rather than replacing some of their hard thinking that they must accommodate it, new information in terms of becoming a an involved in an effective worker. I also want to just re offer some encouragement that AI is what's something that's going to be more and more integrated into our society, but we have adapted before to unprecedented challenges and we will adapt again and we will adapt again and again, the neuroplasticity of our brains helps us to think that change will be inevitable, that we are dynamic systems and that we will continue to reach new normals. And let's navigate toward a normal that we're proud of, that we find joy in and we find is equitable for all. Well, thank you for that. I find that really hopeful um, to you know remind ourselves that um, I remember when I first started teaching, computers were not the norm. We had one computer right. in the English department. It was in the English office and it, yeah. we did not have shutter to think it. We did not have internet connected to that computer or any computers in the lab that we yeah. took students to, to write papers. Right. Yeah. Um, we used it with a, a very basic grading program that was mm -hmm. locally, you know, as I think it was a, like a CD ROM load, right. Yes. To enter students' <laughs> grades and to print out students' grades. Yeah. Um, so I certainly adapted to all the changes that the internet mm -hmm. and wide use of computers and laptops in, in, you know, in every home or every, you know, uh, residence yeah. hall room or, or whatever, every student's mm -hmm. possession has brought to education. Yeah. We, we do adapt and change and we know that we can do that and the the plasticity of our brains allows that so that's hopeful mm -hmm. to keep in mind um i like your your kind of combination of talking to students and preparing them both with while you're in school how can you use ai as a tool and not a crutch mm -hmm. but then also how do we prepare them to have those vital human specific skills for graduation so yes. that they are hireable, marketable, valuable to the workforce mm -hmm. in ways that I, AI cannot be at, yeah. at this time. So, um, so yeah, some great points. Um, <clears throat> any other thoughts before we close, Nathan? I uh, just want to reiterate that, you know, anxiety is a normal part of the human experience when it starts to interfere with your satisfaction or your activities of daily living. It's time to reach out because these are 
conditions that are manageable. They're not, it's something that is a fault, that is a something that is inherently wrong with somebody. I'm using air quotations. I know the folks on audio <laughs> might not get that, but um, but help is available. And sometimes just being able to discuss your concerns with someone and to be really heard is important. So I want to, again, let people know that that help is available and to reach out to health and wellness. Or uh, if if that's not the place, then uh, another local mental health organization to discuss your concerns with somebody. And can you remind us real quickly of how faculty and, and students and staff on campus can reach out to uh, health and wellness here at Fort Hayes? Yeah, the easiest way is to go on FHSU's website, just use the Google search and look for health and wellness, and you can set, schedule a counseling uh, appointment, or you can call us at 785-628-4401 and schedule an appointment. We'll do an intake where we start to get situated around the sort of concerns that bring you in, and then we'll together plan a an avenue to help you return to a place where you're proud of. Okay, thank you for that. And thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. This has been Tilt Talk. I'm Nicole Frank, the Faculty Development Coordinator in Teaching Innovation and Learning Technologies. And our guest today has been Nathan Perdue, a Graduate Assistant Counselor in Student Health and Wellness. Thank you for your time, and we will see you all next time. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of FHSU Tilt Talk. Subscribe on Spotify, Amazon, and Google Podcast. In the meantime, check out the Tiger Learn blog or the Tilt social media pages for updates. We'll see you next time.